Bolton Wells this week's Sport Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkson. We're here talking all things sports in Salford Germany Show this week. As ever, we've got Paul Whiteside from The Devil of Detail. Paul, looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford and beyond? Yes, yeah, certainly am. There's been plenty going on, hasn't there, with the, uh, the FA Cup final and, and Salford's trip to Newcastle and Swinton's trip to Keighley. So all our clubs have been uh, travelling around the country, haven't they? So looking forward to chatting about it. Yeah, so let's start with the FA Cup final. Manchester City were victorious. They beat Manchester United 2-1 at Wembley, Paul. You know, Pep Guardiola's team complete the double and they're on for the treble on, on next Saturday. Yeah, they got the perfect start as well, didn't they? Scoring a goal after, what was it, about 15 seconds? Something yeah. like that, straight from the kickoff. I saw that goal. It was a wonderful, uh, wonderful volley, wasn't it? You know, measured goal that to start the game, but... United will be disappointed, you know, a bit slack in defence, you know, conceding that early, but it was a quality piece of play. And yeah, from from what you've told me, I, I was up in Newcastle watching Salford rugby game, so I've not seen much of the FA Cup finally, so I've bits and bobs on, you know, bits of highlights and things, but from what I've heard, you know, City were, were in control, really, wasn't it, from what you've told me? So what, what did you make of it? Yeah, like you said, uh, City scored early Gundogan with a with an absolute fantastic uh, volley just outside the area De Gea stood motionless as it flew into the back of the net after 13 seconds Paul and like you say it took the wind out of Man United's sails because obviously Ten Hag would have had a plan to deal with uh, Pep Guardiola and that Man City team. Uh, but obviously, you can see the goal after that. Certain amount of 13 seconds time, everything goes out the window and uh, you have to sort of plan again. Uh, Manchester United did hit back through a, a goal from uh, Bruno Fernandes from the penalty spot, given by VAR. Uh, ball comes across. Um, it was Wamba Saka who headed the ball into Jack Grealish's hand. Uh, the referee, video referee, took about three, about thirty seconds, a minute to look at it. Decided that the referee on the field wanted, should have a look at it, and he decided it was a penalty. Paul, obviously. In rugby league, uh, they do have video referees, but they usually have to sort of wait till the decision is made before the referee does go up, go up to the screen, um, you know, to make the decision. But in football, the video ref just looks at it as the game goes on. So, do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing uh, that the video referee can look at a decision while the game continues, or should football do what rugby league does and wait for a, a break in play or a sort of try or a goal to be scored before they look at it yeah I suppose it's different in football because rugby league you're only going to the video replay to, to a, ju- a judge on a on a try scoring situation aren't you so in football you can you can go for other things penalty decisions and you know is it is it outside the box is it over the line is it a sending off there's, there's all sorts of things you can go to so it becomes a bit more more complicated doesn't it but I, 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 a lot of the onus in football is on the referee because he normally has to go up to the television and, and make the decision at the end of the day, doesn't it? Where, as in rugby, you've got a man in a box upstairs who, who's making the decision for the referee. He'll say he's on field decision. So it, rugby league's probably a bit more complicated than, than the football. It's probably a bit more more straight to to decide. But um, you know the the, the technology is there, and the, you know got the rugby league at the weekend. The video referee was called upon, particularly in the Salford game quite a lot of times really and you're thinking they don't have that technology every game like they do at football mm. so if you are using it that much you think you'd have it at all the matches so football have got it right the way they have it there at the game so um, I'm still not a massive fan of it to be honest it, it, particularly in football I think it it takes away 
from the goals, doesn't it? Sometimes when they, when they score and you you don't you're unsure whether you can celebrate or not because they've gone to the video and the goals chalked off and it just takes away that raw emotion of the moment, doesn't it? But uh, but yeah, do you think that one was right? That penalty, do you think they got it right on Saturday? I think Paul that um, Jack Grealish's hand was in a bit of a foreign place. Um, it was kind of up by the side of his head when it when it when the ball made contact with it. I know the video referee and the referee look at that kind of thing and he's, if his hand is in a kind of a place where it should be by down by his side, he wouldn't have gave it because he was jumping, he needed his arm to lever himself up off the ground, doesn't he? So for his hand to be where it should be, for me, if you are jumping, it is in a natural position, but the ball did hit his hand and, you know, that is a penalty. And I think that's probably why the referee video referee took a little bit of time before he, he called the referee on the field to look at it because he was thinking yeah it did hit his hand his hand was in an unnatural position uh, and that is why I think it might be a penalty but like you said with football there is that in Premier League football there is the video you know, video referee every game isn't it so lower down the the football in ladder that decision wouldn't have been made so then the score is different the scenario in the game is different. The game changes totally. So it's what football is needed because obviously with football, it's big business in, in it and they want every decision to be correct. And I thought this one was. I thought, obviously, like you said, it is. And it was in an unnatural position and the penalty was given. Bruno, Han- Bruno Fernandes with the equaliser stroked it in and it was 1-1. Like I said before, Manchester, Manchester City were the better team throughout Manchester United out of nothing really Paul got equalised and got back level which obviously spooked the the City faithful and obviously Man United thought you know we're back in this contest without even looking like we're going to win Did you ever feel that you had a chance at 1-1 because I know we were speaking off air and you sort of said that City had had United at arm's length and they didn't really threaten Mm. we United that poor in front of goal was it a game of sort of limited chances really and scraps? To be fair, Paul, it wasn't that United didn't have any chances. It, what it was, the fact that Manchester City had possession, they had territory, they've got players in that midfield like Gundogan um, who are able just to play, and they, and they just Manchester United's tactics were let them have it when they're just on our half, on just on halfway. And if they come within 30 yards of goal, then we'll press. And I understand why that was, because they don't want Man City to, to play like, play around them like they did in, in that famous derby victory where Haaland scored a bag full and, and Man United were, were torn to shreds. So I can understand why Hentag decided to play that way. But the fact of the matter is, with Manchester United and the team that Hentag set up was the fact that they didn't have a centre forward to hit the ball to. So with with United, we all know what the problems are with Manchester United at the back with De Gea and the centre halves and, and full backs and the central midfielders not able to play under pressure. So they weren't willing to play out from the back. And what they would do instead, they'd just fire it up to Ratchford, who, you know, Ratchford is a good player. He scores lots of goals, England international. But what he isn't, he's not a target man. So when De Gea launches it forward to Ratchford, the ball comes straight back or the ball is swept up by the Man City defence and they come and the and the attack starts again. So it was difficult for Manchester United to regain possession. So Man City just dominated dominated the ball. United were just left to counter-attack. And unfortunately, time and pressure 
is a, is, is a problem when you're having to absorb that kind of uh, situation. So in the second half, from a corner, um, City, Gundogan again, swung his left foot at it, bobbled through, passed to here, 2-1 City. Did United have much chances after that to come back into the game, Rob? You know, obviously City comfort with that with two one. Yeah, like I said, Paul, it was it was all City. Um, City Man United did have a couple of chances late on, but I thought with about ten minutes to go, fifteen minutes to go, Man City got a bit nervous, decided that they'd just defend what they had, which then gave Man United the ball. So then Man United, Man United were able to put a few passes together, create a few half chances. Um, played the way City obviously backed off, gave the opportunities to Man United. If Man City had continued to play as they had done through the rest of the contest, I think they'd have, they'd have seen the game out, no problem. But it's weird that teams, when they get towards the end of, of matches and they get a bit nervous, they decide to to drop back 10 metres and not contest balls and not, not wanting to play. And it's, it's a strange thing in football because if you give... The opposition of ball, there's half a chance of them scoring. So that is what happened. United had an opportunity at the death where I think it was McTominay headed against the bar. And uh, it was all of City's making because they gave Man United the ball. But apart from that one half chance, uh, they didn't really have any any real opportunities, opportunities really. And, and I suppose Hentag will be looking at, you know, looking back at the, the, the final and, and the video and realising that this Manchester United team needs a rebuild. It needs players who can compete for balls, recycle balls, play in pressure pressure situations, and then you might have half a chance of beating City because City just dominate possession, dominate territory, and unfortunately you have to play the counter-attack way, which means you've got to defend well. And unfortunately Man United didn't do it enough. City won 2-1, and the double hurt went to the air. What do you think the chances are of the treble? You know, they've got a massive game coming up the, the following Saturday now at the Inter Milan. Mm. It, what, I mean, I don't know a lot about Italian football, so I'm probably not the, the right man to talk about them, really. But what, what dangers do Inter Milan possess? Do, do you rate them? Are they a good side? Are they going to trouble City? Or do you think this will be another walkover for City? It's going to be interesting to see what happens with Inter Milan because it's they are one of the top sides in Italy. But they're not Manchester City. And Manchester City are a phenomenal machine with the best coach in the world, with the best centre-forward in the world, and internationals littered across that team and that squad. So, will Inter Milan have enough to beat Manchester City? I think Inter Milan's only hope is Pep Guardiola overthinks what needs to happen, like he did when City lost to Chelsea in the Champions League a couple of years ago, his tactics weren't quite right and Chelsea took advantage. This one, if Pep Guardiola uses that experience, he knows what system works for Manchester City. He has Haaland, who's bagged 52 goals this season, up front to score goals. He just to make sure that the system round him works, which it, which has which it, which has done through the whole season, which has got onto this position. So I can't see him deciding to change anything too much because obviously if he does change it and City have to, to play a bit differently to accommodate into Milan, then there might be a problem. But really, they're a steam train going straight for that treble. And, and I suppose a lot of Man United fans are hoping that Inter Milan do the, the job on Saturday. But 
for me, it's City to lose. If you was Pep Guardiola, then how would you approach this game? Do you do you go for the jugular? Do you, do you play the way you've played all season? Do you go and try and blow them out of the water, or do you have to be sort of cautious? I mean, or into Milan, can they score goals? Are they dangerous? Or do Manchester City just need to play their their own way and not really worry about them? Yeah, I think, like I said, Paul, you don't have to change the way you have to. You know, you want to play if you've actually just won a double and dominated a, a final, do you? If if you were looking, you know, you had injuries and uh, there was problems and you think, you know, what player needs to fit in this system? This team, who finished third in the in the Serie A, you know, are not a massive threat for Man City. They know that. And he looks around that dressing room and, and as they have top players, don't they, from, from back to front, like Samarez, uh, you know, Foden, you know, there's goals in that team. So he thinks, what we'll do, we should just play it like we always play it and just press, get the ball, dominate and squeeze the other team. And that's what will happen on, on Saturday. Um, like I said before, the only problem is if Pep Guardiola starts overthinking things, say, well, do I need to change this to, to, to make sure that I make sure that Lumina, no, Lukaku doesn't get a chance because Lukaku is probably their only threat, really, for Inter Milan. So is he is he going to be enough to 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 trouble Man City? I don't think so. Um, but does Pep overthink it and decide to change his system to to stop him from playing? Which means he changes the system, which means Man City don't know how to play that way. That's probably Inter's only hope in this uh, in this European Cup final. It's City's to lose for me. Right, you always do this to me, so I'm going to do it to you. Score okay. prediction. <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot. What is your score prediction, Rob? My score prediction, Paul, for this European Cup final, uh, Man City v Inter Milan. I, I feel it's going to be a Man City walkover. A 3-0 win. Score early. Score just after half-time. And then score at the end. And the City faithful will be be dancing in the in the streets of Istanbul. It'll be a, a moment of, of celebration for Pep Guardiola, a moment of celebration for the fans who have been through that roller coaster ride from Division Two to Premier League to new owners to Pep Guardiola. You know the great years of, of winning the Premier League week in week out. The only thing they haven't won is the Champions League. So to to finish this season with a Champions League will be the icing on the cake for Pep Guardiola and the owners obviously they've put billions of pounds into Manchester City uh, through the years not just the team the infrastructure around the ground making it you know a fantastic venue to 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 visit so for them to get that reward of a European Cup will probably make it worth it the only sort of problem is is backing it up next season because people will know what to expect with Haaland uh, but Pep Guardiola this isn't his first rodeo is it Paul he knows how to tweak his team, who's ready for the next challenge and who isn't ready for the next challenge and be able to fix that that squad up for the next uh, season, which is a, a daunting prospect for the rest of the Premier League in Europe. I'm going to go for um, a bit tighter than, than you. Being like an old City supporter who's not probably a bit out of touch with them all. When I used to watch them, they always seem to make heavy weather of everything. So <laughs> I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw and then City to win on penalties. Wow. <laughs> Just put the supporters through the ringer like they always do. Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing about 
like we said about Man City, you know, they've, they've come from, you know, that kind of team. But like you said, a bit like Soul for the Devils that put the, the fans through through the mincer every week, you know, emotionally, but, you know, they follow them, you know, to, to the end of the earth. But now, the loyalty of fans still can't be questioned, but they've got a team there that are good enough to win Premier Leagues and win Cups and are able to see out games. And that, and that, is, a, that is an important thing when you're competing in the big competitions that you're able to win a game, which either A, you're not supposed to win or you, you're going to have to dig deep to win. And I think that comes with Pep Guardiola being the coach that he is, the top coach in the world, surrounded by the top players in the world, all pushing in that right direction, Paul. And, and I suppose as a as our resident City fan, you must be kind of pleased that we you have got to this point in the, the journey that you go into your European Cup final as favourites. Yeah, that's it. I think I think it'd be great for the for the club. To, to, to get that result like you said before and them coming from over the last sort of 25 years they've had a they've had a, a real roller coaster ride haven't they and you know I can remember like in the, the sort of 90s and they were they were miles behind Manchester United and mm. when I used to watch them then I used to think are they ever going to beat United because they they didn't for, for donkey's years you know I think they got a couple of draws but they'd not beaten for a long time I think they had the 89 win then they were a, a long time then and, and they always seem to be clutching at their tails of United and they just seem streaks ahead. And where they've come from, obviously, there's been a lot of investment and that. And I think I think it'd be great for the supporters. I think it'd be great for the for the country as well, wouldn't it? You know, for another English side to, to go and win it. And like you said, it's backing it up next season, and isn't it? Because everybody expects you to do well. But I think once they get that first European success, I think it'd be be awful if they were to lose this game on, on Saturday, you know, particularly after that, that, that final in against Chelsea, they didn't really turn up did they, mm. in that game, so what you don't want is a 1-0 defeat or something like that, you want them to go out and play their, their football and, and get the result, I'm sure they will do, I'm sure they'll get a result and, and best of luck as well Yeah, obviously looking at Manchester United after obviously achieving uh, their League Cup um, win and Champions League qualification, beaten in the FA Cup, is this a successful season for Hentag? Um, I think he's he's made his mark, hasn't he? I think he's really come in and made a mark after, I'm not going to say a revolving door at Manchester United, but there's been a lot of change, hasn't there, since Ferguson left? You know, there has been, you know, managers coming in and money spent and, and things not going their way, a bit of disarray, there's been all this problem with the owners and things like that. And he, he seems to have steadied the ship, I think, and, and, and I'd say as an outsider looking in, he's put a bit of pride back in to the club and, and he's got players playing for him. You know, not all of them, there's, there's still a few products to clear out, but I think it's been a success. I think they've got a trophy there, they've laid some foundations down and I think he'll 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 get the club back up there. I really do think that. I, I don't think United are gonna be out of the out of the spotlight for too long. You say that in football, but couple of transfer windows, couple of close seasons, and you're right back up there. And they're too good a club not to be. So I think he's a good manager. I think he's a respectful man. He's a well-mannered man when I've seen him on the telly. I think he gets people's respect. He's a hard worker. And I think Manchester United will, will turn the corner. And one question I was going to ask you, do you think there'll be a big turnover of players at Old Trafford in the summer? I think if Hentag wants to uh, achieve uh, what Man City has done, um, he will need at least three or four players to, to three or four or five players maybe to reach that level because 
He wants to play a certain way. He wants to play out from the back. But to do that, you need a goalkeeper who is good with his feet. And David De Gea, even though he won the Golden Glove this season for Manchester United, when the ball is at his feet, he isn't the greatest. And you've got your defenders in front of him who aren't really that good when the ball is at the feet under pressure. And teams know that. So they will they will press Manchester United. The problem we've got is everyone, pre- everyone knows that that's the weakness. So he will need a change in that area. At least two, maybe three players, new goalkeeper, let's Maybe what? Maybe a new fullback or a new centre half who can play, so he can play his way through that that process. But then also the fact, like I mentioned in the FA Cup final, with Ratchford playing as as a centre forward target man, when De Gea did kick it long, it never it always came back. When Man City did it because they had options, they could play it out because every player every player in that sort of back four back six can play football. In, in tight areas. So when De Gea did launch it, it either came straight back because Ratchford couldn't hold it up. So you really need another you really need a striker who's gonna hold that ball up. So gives United options to hit long or to play out. Makes teams wonder do we press or do we hang back? And people talk about Harry Kane being an option. Harry Kane is 30 years old, scored you know a bag full of goals for Tottenham. We all know what's going on at Tottenham with a change of coach and the basically disappointment of, of what's happened over the last couple of seasons. Seasons is it time for Harry Kane to wash his hands of Spurs and then make a break for Manchester United. He wants to win trophies. Is Manchester United going to be the vehicle to do that, Paul? That's the big question. Yeah, there's been there's been talk about Harry Kane for a, a couple of seasons now, hasn't they? You know, going to Manchester United. I think even at one time there was there was mention about Manchester City being in for him, wasn't there? But uh, do you think that's a move that could be possible? That you know, I don't know what sort of contract situation Kane's under at, at Tottenham, but they seem to be really disappointed from a club that was they weren't far off with it a few years ago. But this season, I think they've been really in and out. So this could be the time where he decides he's had enough. And like you said, he's thirteen. I'm not so sure what he's won in his career, if anything, really, has he anything, any substance. So mm. perhaps it's the time for him to move before it's too late. Yeah, I think Daniel Levy uh, will demand a King's Ransom for, for for Harry Kane, top side of £100 million for a 30-year-old. The, the goals aren't a problem. He's guaranteeing 25 goals a season in a poor Tottenham side. If he comes to Manchester United, he, he'll have the people around him, like Bruno Fernandes, who will be able to provide. But my only concern is the transfer fee you're going to have to pay for him, the wages that he's on, which will be astronomical, because they know they he knows that he's going to be in part of part of this Man United team. And the, the fact that he's 30, and it's, and it's time, waits for an old man, and three, four years max before you know he has to maybe drop down level. No, obviously, likes of Ronaldo went on for years and years. But Harry Kane is a different sort of beast, isn't he? And will he be able to continue into his mid to late thirties? I'm not sure. So you're paying top side of hundred million pound for somebody who you're going to have three years max of. 
that's a big gamble, especially with what's going on behind the scenes with the Manchester United ownership. We all know, obviously, the Glazers are looking to sell. We all know that there's a couple of parties involved. I think it will depend if, if them parties are successful. If they are, Paul, then it's opportunity to invest big and Harry Kane might be one of them players that comes in. But it's all in the air. They still haven't decided who's the, the favourite bidder. So we'll have to wait and see. But for me, Harry Kane would be an option. But you've got to factor in them things. There may be another striker in Europe who's younger. But the fact that you're bringing him into the Premier League and you're not guaranteeing 20 goals easy, you don't know how he's going to hit the, the ground running. But you're hoping that scouts are there to, to figure that out. But for me, if you want goals, you go for Kane. Is there anybody else you'd like to see come through the doors at Old Trafford? Well, like I said, you need a goal. You need a new goalkeeper. You need a new centre forward, um, and then we'll we'll see how we go. I mean, it's it's a, people who want to go out of Old Trafford is is the the big question. Like for McTominay, like for Fred, it's Maguire. You know, are they going to be happy just sitting on the bench and doing you know bit part players? They want to play football, but. If you ship them out, you've got to bring players in. And, uh, you know, it's a difficult job being Manchester United. You know, you can't just pick a player up for, for, for pennies. Uh, the Man United uh, interest rate goes up. People had a £10 million on a player when they know Man United's interested. So it'll be a difficult situation having to having to sort that out as well. Do you think David De Gea's days are numbered at Old Trafford? Then? I know he's mentioned before, like the golden boot and... Do you think? It, I mean, I've seen a lot of rumours in the press at the at the, at the moment, and they they seem to think that he'll be replaced at Old Trafford this season. Do you think that's a possibility? So, Paul, I think it is, Paul, because he wants Ten Hag wants a goalkeeper who is comfortable with the ball at his feet. So then he can it gives the confidence to the defenders that they can pass in the ball, and he he will be able to to kick it to another United player or to kick it dead or do something with it when. With the hair, there's always that thought in the back of your head: is he, he, he's gonna he's gonna do something wrong here, and then everyone gets a bit nervous, and you know, and other teams know that, so it's, it's difficult. And the way football's evolved, the goalkeepers just aren't good goalkeepers anymore. They're good footballers as well. So even though David De Gea has won the Golden Glove, and he's, he is on three hundred thousand pound a week as well, don't forget. So that is a, a fair amount of money. So is this? new goalkeeper that's going to come in, is he going to be a saving for Manchester United? Because he's not going to demand that kind of figure. And the fact that will David Hayer be happy to be second field now after so many years as number one? Massive question, that, Robin. It's going to be an interesting close season, isn't it, for, for both Manchester City and Manchester United. Once they've got this Champions League out of the way, I'm sure City will be in the market, won't to strength. Like you said, don't think Pep Guardiola likes to, to stand still, does he? He likes to keep evolving, doesn't he? Mm. Yeah, and that's what's made Man City so good because they've got players uh, in every position. They've got two internationals for every position, so they know if someone gets injured or gets suspended, it just brings someone in and he carries on the process. The, the fact that uh, Gundogan is out of contract might be a problem for Pep Guardiola because like you say two goals in the cup final a big player in that Man City team if he departs will he be able to bring someone else in uh, to replace him but he has, he has money you know bags and bags of money to spend so they can go anywhere in the world find the right player and replace, it, replace him 
and that is why Man City are on for a domestic, well, for a for a treble because they've got lots of money, they've got a great coach, they've got a great scouting network, and they've got a great team, and that's why they will win the treble on uh, on Saturday. Just going back to Premier League, three teams have come up, three new teams. Do you see them surviving next season? I think it's Luton Town, Sheffield United, and Burnley have come back, haven't they? Yeah, they're gonna have. Uh, it's gonna be tough for all three of them. But what do you reckon? I think out of the three of them, I think Burnley might be the team because uh, Vincent Company is the coach there. He's he's learned his uh, trade through Man City and, and going abroad as well. And top goal scorers in the championship as well. Uh, dominated, thought won the league. With, with, you know, with games to spare. And I think the step up between Championship and Premier League is huge. So for Burnley to be that far ahead at the end shows that they will compete. Luton Town are the the fairy tale, aren't they? From Kenilworth Road, surrounded by terraced houses and walking through people's back gardens to get in the ground. You know, that's a fairy tale after being in uh, non-league uh, 10 years ago um, and to go back on that journey to get to the Premier League. Imagine what the fans are thinking that they get the opportunity to play the best sort of a league in the world and players who are going to come down to Kenilworth Road and experience the, the closeness of the pitch and, you know, the, the changing rooms that aren't quite Premier League's, you know, quality. And that's the that's going to be a real thing. But anything can happen, can't they? If they manage to invest in the right players and, and get that own crowd behind them and, you know, get nervousness, appearing in teams then if, then you know they might survive but it will be it will be interesting to see we'll all be be hoping that the Kenilworth Road rocking and they get points up on the board early because you want to get away from that sort of that drop zone don't you really and, and I'm sure they'll be talking about starting quick and uh, picking up points I think that's the beauty of football though Rob for me that you know that Luton Town show you just sold it to me there. it's like a real fairy tale isn't it but mm. whereas in, in rugby league if it was a team like that they'd be being criticised that the ground's not good enough the, mm. the stadium's you know good the change rooms are bobbins but in football you tend to have this rags to riches don't you and this sort of David and Goliath attitude that people don't really criticise those sort of teams they sort of stick up for them if you like don't they so uh, I think that I think it's great for the league that and uh, like just the way you describe it there people hopping through gardens and all I think it'd be great I, mean, I can't wait to watch the watch the season unfold now when it starts yeah it's going to be exciting we're going to be talking about on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio let's turn to Rugby League and Salford Devils they were in Magic Weekend action they beat Hull KR 26 points to 16 talk us through it Paul yeah, a very, very good win. A very tough win, I thought. Um, the first half, it was a match a lot of people said it could be the game of the um, of the weekend, you know, Salford against OKR. Two sides that are right at the top of the end of the table, like to play good entertaining rugby. Two of the farm teams in the league, really. In the first half, the game didn't really catch fire. Um, there was a long... Very long um, injury layoff to uh, James Batchelor, the uh, OKR forward, who I believe is doing okay. I think he put something on Twitter today, but he looked really bad way. He was stretched off, looked like he'd done damaged his neck or his back. So uh, good to good to hear that he's got some good news and he's doing okay because that was a real worry. He's down for about ten or fifteen minutes. So when you get an injury like that in a game, it does take a bit for it to sort of kick in again. But no, Hulkingston Rovers took the lead. 
Um, Elliot Minchella scored a try, but that was after Salford had loads of possession. First 10 or 15 minutes, it was all Salford, but they didn't post any points. OK, I took the lead. Uh, Salford bounced back with a try from uh, from Burgess. It was Brody Croft, dropped the shoulder, went through with six apiece. OK, they got back in front after Salford. Well, Salford got in front with a penalty goal, but then Ulkingston Rovers scored a try just before the break from, from King. It was George King who went over. And for me, a bit of a... Poor try to concede, really. Salford switched off in defence, but did get another penalty goal from Mark Sneed right on the half-time hooter after a high tackle. Silly, needless high tackle from uh, from Rovers, and, and Sneed made uh, made, him, made him pay, really. Another penalty, 12 points to, to 10 at the break, and it was in the balance. It was. It was, Paul. And obviously, you know, is it a good thing that Salford are creating chances, but bombing them, or... Is it a worry that we're not taking these chances? No, I, I think I wouldn't say it was a worry because the the defense was good. I thought, apart from that that King incident, I mentioned the defense was pretty good. You know, they held the ball well. Yeah, there was a bit of rust in us, but I think you'll get that the way the team plays under Paul Roller. They, they can force to pass a bit too much sometimes and you know just take on that miracle play. But would you want them to change that? No, because when you play that way, you can't really not play that way because it's it's in the player's DNA. You know that's yeah. how, how they want to do it. So I, I don't think they want to change. And and why would you? You won. I think they won nine games now out of um, out of fourteen, which is a great start. You know, it's only two points off the top of the table. So. If you're doing something right, you, you stick with it, don't you? And uh, I think the beauty of things at the moment is having Mark Sneed in the team because he rarely misses a kick. I think we kicked eight points in penalty goals at the weekend, you know, which is unheard of, really. I mean, he's so reliable. He, every try he converts, and, and that was the difference. You know, goal kicking ultimately won us that game. I think it was three tries apiece. So um, so I, I'm not worried about that. I think, you know, we will click. There'll be games when you click, and there'll, be, there'll obviously be games when things don't always go your way because the the chances that you're trying to take are sort of the miracle plays sometimes, aren't they? Mm. So what happened in the second half, Paul? Yeah, the second half, Lee, yeah, 12-10 at half-time. It was um, Rovers allowed, to, allowed a kick to bounce, actually, and... Uh, Pandemonium at the back, Salford moved the ball out wide, and that was another chance that they bombed. It was Tim Lafayette and Joe Burgess again. They, they, they struggled out wide. I think Lafayette uh, had a try charts off by the video ref. I think r- rightly so as well from uh, from what you told me before. I've not seen the replays yet, but they were pulled back for a forward pass. They did eventually get a penalty goal. Uh, Mark Sneed kicked that, um, and then uh, it was Dean Hadley was simbing for Ulkaya. Another penalty goal puts Salford in front, fourteen twelve. So. Hawkinson Rovers started to implode slightly. They were giving penalties away. They were unforced errors. They, they dropped an awful lot of ball. Uh, but then Dion Cross was simbing for Salford and Ryan Hall went over in the corner for Ulcair and scored a cracking try. Really, He's a big man, Ryan Hall, but it was a tremendous finish. Uh, and that made the score 16-14 to Ulcair. And to be honest with you, I thought Hawkinson Rovers thought they'd won the game then. Um, they seemed to put the, not put the cue on the rat, but they, they seemed to think they'd got it won there. And, and, yeah, they probably did put the cue on the rack, for want of a better uh, phrase, because they, they didn't really throw anything at Salford. Then Salford took advantage, Briley broke, Ken Co in support, he scored, you weren't going to stop him. And then another tremendous break, it was Chris, Chris Atkin who finished that off. You know, He came back off the bench for the last sort of 10 or 15 minutes, Amir Burrow had been on and done a good job. Then Atkin came on, did that. You know, I, I saw him getting briefed off, uh, off Paul Rowling, you could see him giving him the instructions. He went on and did the damage, really, and uh, that was a good try that we scored right at the end, 26-16. So, I think they finished the game stronger. You know, they really come home with a wet sail at the end. Okay, I 
didn't have enough in the tank, couldn't hold us out, and uh, it was credit to Salford's attacking player really, that that sort of spine, that that trio of, of Briley, Croft, and Sneed did an awful lot of damage on on Saturday. Yeah, so this is what Paul Rowley had to say to you, Paul, after the game. Right, I'd like to say Paul Rowley joins me. Triumphant Paul Rowley. It was a good press conference that with, with Ryan Briley. How well did Ryan play today first? Yeah, um, I love doing a press conference when I, I often bring players in, as you know, and uh, the, but he requested, they requested Ryan today. So I really enjoy that because, uh, especially when you win, I think it's really good to get players up, get their point of view. Um, and, and in particular Ryan as everybody knows we're, we're pretty uh, you know where one goes the other goes and uh, there's a reason for that and the reason is uh, there's a trust between us both and for me he knows how I want to play he delivers it in terms of being my best salesman uh, but but ultimately it's what he does on the field he's, I think he's, he's fantastic I think it, as it stands to now he's, he's been our best player at Salford this year um, and I just think I just think what he does um, is is world class. Uh, you know, if you put it in the NRL or you put it on a different stage, it's actually world class. Some of the stuff that he does, and, uh, and I'm not just talking about attack. I'm talking about defence too. So, um, yeah, I think he's brilliant. It's a tough old game that as well, wasn't it? So some great tries scored in that second mm. half. But looking at Brody Croft when he come off, he's got the old Terry Butcher headband yeah. on. It was a bruising encounter, wasn't it? Yeah. And how pleased are you with your side? Sort of commitment, desire, the way they the way they battle and scrap for each other. Uh, it's interesting when you're playing a winning side. Um, you 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 always feel like you're going to win, and so you know as staff, like whilst we trust them, it's a little bit more nerve wracking for us. However. I think as a group they've got a real good trust amongst themselves and a real good belief and, and that gives them patience so they don't overplay, they don't chase a game when there's no need to chase a game. Uh, they're happy to build pressure and, and, and kill the opportunities when they come. And uh, I thought today we had loads of opportunities in that first half. Obviously I think we had three tries you know, disallowed and um, you, we, had, we had some opportunities that we missed. We'll, we'll say we missed them, they're our fault. Uh, which you know there were some errors so you know that give you a perception that we're making a lot of errors but we're in the act of scoring and you know like Chris Atkin going over it's you know I will take them every day because he'll, he'll nail them as well so um, I thought I thought it was just it was a really good game and the biggest thing we needed is to have belief when them sort of opportunities weren't being um, uh, transferred into points because you get that you, you can get them excuses where it's not you know it's not going to be our day referees doing this or you know you were unlucky so you you know you could spiral there into a into a lull but I think our boys have a, a large amount of spirit I think they reflect the crowd um, you know big game on two Man City Man City and Man United both playing at the same time and we've got a, we've got a core group of fans here that were. You know, though well, each one shouted it shouted loud enough for four people. So uh, I'm really proud of the players today. I'm really proud of the supporters. I'm really pleased with the supporters as well that they can, you know, they they've got that game out of the way and they can just have a good drink now, enjoy Magic Weekend, and uh, you know, stick the chest out and be proud, be proud to be Salford. There was a lot of sort of stages in that game where it could have drifted away from you. Yeah. You know, you were behind. Composure though, you seem to show yeah. an awful lot of composure. How important is it when you've got a guy like Mark Steed in the mm. team who kicks it more or less every goal? He takes them opportunities. He's a real talisman for the side, isn't he? He is, yeah, he is. Um, and and you know his kicking's really important. 
Um, he, he was poorly today, Sneader, so I think he was probably 20% off where he could be. Uh, but he was poorly yesterday. He had a room on his own because we didn't want Obdi to catch his illness. But um, but yeah, so to step up and do 80 minutes, you know, he was pretty uh, pale there at the end. But uh, he managed to get on the bus as an avid Man United fan. He's gone watching the game. But I thought his half-pack partner had his best game of the season, Brody Croft. So I guess Sneedy enough limelight. Uh, I'll give him some for being brave today under circumstances but I thought Brody Croft today um, showed some real class I thought he was outstanding um, and interestingly enough I think this is just about when he kicked in to his best form this time last year There's been a lot of talk about OKR flexing the muscles and throwing the weight around particularly in the Tyler Dupree situation what, do you, what does Paul Rowley make of that? Uh, facts are Tyler plays for Salford he's got a three year contract he comes to training trains well he smiles we smile at him uh, he loves us we love him uh, and my opinion is that um, you know I, I'm a coach who likes to build things from the bottom up I've done it before and that's kind of the the uh, remit that, that I gave myself you know in, in taking this job so um, I'm a builder I don't like to dismantle that's, that's not what I'm about um, and so um, you know that's that's what we need to do. Make sure we keep all the people. So uh, yeah, just as long as Tyler's happy and we're happy, um, we'll we'll kick on. They're the facts. I enjoyed his performance today and last week. So uh, he's got a lot more to come, which is the exciting bit as well. So um, he's our player. So end of story to me. Someone said before, why are people not shouting about us all from the rooftops? You don't like that, do you? You want to stay yeah. under the radar, don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I, th- I think uh, I think we're not going to shout about ourselves. If, if people want to shout, then fair enough. But you only end up uh, having to straighten back all the answers then and talk them down. So um, I think what we say internally and what we say externally are two different things uh, because we want to remain humble um, and you know feet firmly on the ground because ultimately we've come to a wonderful stadium and won two points. Um, so it's always in rugby league and, and sport. It's what you do next. So our next. Our next assignment is, is already on our radar, which is Castleford. So, um, as they always says, no point getting two points here and losing two at Castleford. So, um, well, I just think today was a good day. Uh, more, most importantly, because uh, they've been a bit of a bogey side for us. So to, to get the win, get the blueprint of how to do it, uh, and, and, and kind of whilst you know and you can verbalise it, to put it into practice and, and get over the line, um, so to speak. He's, he's, he's good for the players going forward so uh, we, you know we've got a big half of the season to come and we're looking forward to it Alex Gerrard how's he doing before I forget to ask you yeah he's struggling he's got he's got uh, an issue with his knee that's just just ongoing uh, I think probably uh, as we've seen a lot of times the, the mileage he's done and, and on the witness pitch the plastic pitch has probably just about shot his knee to bits um, so we're going to have to manage him and hopefully uh, whether it be one week or two weeks, hopefully um, when he comes back into the fold, he can have an extended period where he just plays week to week, you know, rather than one in, two out, uh, because this is no good for anybody. But, um, you know, speaking to Alex, there's nobody more um, keen to, to get it right, nobody, nobody more frustrated than himself. Uh, but, yeah, we just we just need to get him, get him back and fight him for that spot because... Um, He's a good rugby player, and uh, and, we, and we do we do miss him, and uh, you know hopefully he'll be back soon. Thanks very much for taking time to speak to us, Paul. I'm not going to mention the cup quarterfinal because you've got a massive yeah. game at Cast next week, so all Absolutely. the best with that one, mate. Thanks a lot, mate. Thanks, mate. 
So that was Paul Rowley talking to you after the game, Paul. And uh, what did you make of it, as you say? Yeah, he was very buoyant. He was very buoyant in the press conference as well. He brought Ryan Briley in, who, who we all know. He, he said Ryan Briley is his best salesman because everywhere Paul Rowley goes, he takes Ryan Briley with him and, and Ryan sells Paul's philosophy. And uh, I think, to be fair to Ryan, I think he's playing the best rugby of his career. I think he's 30 years of age now, so he's been around a long time, you know, at Lee and Toronto and he was at Huddersfield and he played at Hulkar as well. But he's found a real home at Salford and, you know, he's singing Ryan's praises in, in the press conference. You know, Ryan as modest as he is, you know, you know, didn't really say a lot, but um, I think you know, you know, people are talking about him for perhaps international duty at the end of the season. I know he's played for Scotland before, but he was saying he'd love to play for England, and I think that's a possibility. I think there's there's, there's players in that Salford team who are holding their hands up, and you know, if players are going to get picked on form in the internationals at the end of the season when we play Tonga in the Test series, there's there's a chance of that. So I know Paul's been banging the drum for that. So uh, we'll have to watch this space. Hopefully, we can keep winning. But he was delighted with the victory. Um, our record at the Magic Weekend's not been the best, has it? So uh, to go there and get another win, and seven wins from eight games now—that's that's consistent, good form. So um, so yeah, I think Paul was delighted with that. And he, he, somebody mentioned to him about should teams seem start uh, should people start talking about Salford now, and do they get enough, you know, press coverage? And Paul isn't bothered about that. I think he he's quite happy to be the underdog, you know, and backs against the wall and no one talk about us and let's just get along with it quite. He's a humble guy and I think the, the players and the, the team are, are humble as well. So I think it's a perfect formula and a perfect recipe for uh, for success. So, uh, so yeah, he, he was delighted and as was, was Ryan Brightler. Yeah, uh, looking at the other results from Magic Weekend, Catalan beat Wigan 46 points to 22. That was a big uh, result there. It was, yeah. I caught some of that game when I was hanging about after the Salford game, and um, I think Catalan's pack just dominated Wigan. They were so big, and they just couldn't couldn't hang on to them. So Wigan made a lot of mistakes as well, and I thought the defence was very poor on the edges from what I saw. But Catalan were forced to be reckoned with that, you know, top of the table. And Steve McNamara's got them playing some good stuff, and particularly as the summer months come along, they're always so hard to beat in uh, in, in Perpignan, aren't they? They play really well there in, in the weather as well. Um, we, well, to be honest, we've had some good wins there, haven't we? Absolutely smashed them last season in the summer, so hopefully we can repeat that. But no, they're looking really good. I thought they were great, and um, there was another surprise game on 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 Saturday as well. Leeds against Casford. Everybody expected Leeds to win that game. Casford, you know, really struggling, and I don't think they won a game under their new coach. And uh, they surprised Leeds with it with a great win. So uh, I think the, the the Saturday games it was a great atmosphere, a big crowd on Saturday as well. I think everybody enjoyed it. Yep, Castleford's uh, and our Solvers' next opponents uh, on Friday night. It'll be interesting going down there to Weldon Road, Road, like you said. First uh, victory for their new coach, and uh, obviously Leeds in a in a real real sort of a strange place, struggling. Um, I'm sure. Obviously, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Talking about the Sunday games, Lee beat Wakefield 30 points to four. Wakefield still struggling at the bottom. They brought a few players in uh, this week, but still finding it hard in Super League. Can't score up, can they? They're really struggling to score. I mean, Lee had a man sent off as well, and somebody said they were down to 11 men at one stage. I don't know if someone got simbed, but I know Ben Reynolds, a halfback, got sent off, didn't he, for throwing a punch at David Fafita. Um, it's a bit harsh, really. I think he was a bit of handbags, but. 
you know, even against 12 men, they, they struggled. So, um, you know, Lee, Lee are flying, though. They've won seven games on the bounce, and a lot of people thought Lee were going to struggle. You know, the, the previous record in Super League's been pretty poor. They didn't win many games last time they were in the league. And I think sort of 2005, when they were in it, they, they won two games all season. So they were been the rubbing rags, haven't they? But not this time. They, they're really going... Great guns. I mean, Adrian Lamb got coach of the month. His, his lad, Lachlan Lamb's playing really well. So they've got a real formula there for, for success. They've, they're scoring points. They've got loads of pace in the team. They're an exciting team to watch and they could be a real dark horse. They're above Salford in the table on points difference. So uh, if you look at the league table, you've got two teams at the top on 20 points. Everyone else has got 18. Then you've got Saints on 16 as well. So... It's um, it's four points separating the top six or seven clubs. It's it's so tight the, the league at the moment, and um, you know it's anybody's. Yep, Set Helens they played Huddersfield and won forty eight points to six. Ex sofa coach Ian Watson under pressure hit out his his players. Um, are his name is his heart his days numbered. Um, I hope not really because you can see what he's trying to build there. I mean. If I was Ken David Huddersfield chairman, I wouldn't um, fire the bullet. I wouldn't. I wouldn't get rid of Watto because I think if you sack a coach now, or in Huddersfield's situation, I don't think he'll get relegated. But I think if you sack a coach now, who's going to be available? Now you're going to bring in? Do you give it Luke Robinson, who's already there? Um, it should seem a bit pointless because he's already there anyway. So I think you'd have to give Ian Watson to the end of the season, then assess at the end of the season, see where you are. So uh, I don't know what I watched the game on 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 Sunday, the Huddersfield game, and. And you can see it a mile off. There doesn't seem to be. There's too many chiefs and not enough Indians for the for want of a better phrase. They, they've they've got sort of pivots everywhere and people in charge. You know, Connor, Vage, Lola here is backing out instructions, and they've not got people doing the spade work. You know, there's people dropping off tackles and missing tackles. If you can do all the flair stuff you want. But you you won't you won't win a game just on that. You've got to do the hard work as well and make the tackles and and that's one thing they're not doing. They've got talent in the squad. There's no doubt about that. You look at the one to thirteen, the one to seventeen, full of talented players. We all know about that. But for one reason or another, it's not working. You know, and they don't look happy. They're arguing amongst themselves. So Ian Watson's got a lot of problems there at Huddersfield, and and it's going to be difficult for him to sort out. I mean, they've got some tough games coming up. Um, they play Warrington, I think, this weekend coming, and then the weekend after they play Wigan, I think. So they've got some some real tough games, and you know they, they're out of the cup as well after Salford knocked them out. So the pressure's on Ian Watson. It'll be interesting to see what Ken David does. Like I said, I hope he doesn't get sacked because I think he's, he's building something there. But you know, it could all come crashing down. Yeah. Warrington lost to Hull, 30 points to 18. Um, obviously, Warrington towards the top of the Super League. Hull coming back from defeat last week against Salford. Um, so, Tony Smith will have been pleased with that. Yeah, certainly. Well, I, I thought Hull, Hull impressed me last week. I think they've improved. They've really improved. There's no doubt about that. They'd, they'd lost seven on the bounce and they won four on the bounce and obviously Salford beat them. But they showed last week that they can play. You know, Tex High, I thought, was really good. Clifford, you know, that kickoff they had apparently today, he did a similar sort of thing with his kickoffs and his kicking game, and it caused Warrington all sorts of problems. Warrington having a bit of a wobble, they got beat to Lee last week, and they've lost to to, uh, to Hull this week, so two defeats on the trot for them. You know, everyone was saying they were running away with things, but, you, you know, they, they're not, and they're only two points in front of us, so, so it's so close to Lee now, and teams seem to be beating each other. I think, you know, one thing I saw at the weekend was St. Helens, how good they were. 
and they just seemed to Paul Wellens, the coach, was saying they wanted to make a statement at the Magic Weekend in front of the you know the big crowds and you know announce everybody that St. Helens are back, you know, because they've had a bit of a struggle this season. But when the chips have been down, they've won games, haven't they? Look at Penrith away, they, they won it won there, you know, when the back's against the wall, sort of backs against the wall against Huddersfield and a magic, and they've absolutely trounced them. So I think they're a side that are gonna come good at the right time, aren't they? They're gonna take some stopping this season. I know they're just outside the, the top six at the moment, but I don't think they will be for long if they, they carry on playing like that. Yeah, let's move on to Swinton Lions. They were in action. They were away at Keefley and won 32 points to 28. Great result uh, for the Lions there. Yeah, certainly. You know, Keefley have been playing pretty well. They've, I know they've not won a sack full of games this season, but they've, they've been improving the Cougars and they've been in a lot of close games, you know, and um, a lot of narrow defeats. So you would have expected Keefley, I think, to, to beat Swinton today. That, that's a great win to go over there and and win that game, you know, stifling heat as well. And, you know, they, they've, they've got a really good result. They had some good results on the road this season, Swinton. So they'll be buoyed by that. It's been a tough few weeks for them, hasn't it? You know, they've had you know, a close defeat at Bradford. All right, they didn't play very well in that game, I believe, but they came back and, and could have snatched that one. So, uh, so yeah, and they had a, a great win against Toulouse as well, not that long ago. So they've caught with some really good uh, good wins. They're just a bit inconsistent at the moment, Swinton. If Alan Coleman can get that consistent, they can start pushing up the league a bit because you know they don't want to be down near the bottom because you think it's too good down from that league so they need to stay away from that but that's that's a great result on the road at Cougar Park yeah four tries from Jake Romeo so it was Romeo 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 where for art thou Romeo so four tries for him shows that he's got great talent and knows where the line is yeah, certainly. Very good, that, Rob. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, great great for him, that. Uh, don't know a lot about him, actually, but uh, he's only been there this season, so uh, a good uh, a good player there, and, you know, eye for the try line as well, and, and that's what you need. And, you know, it sounded like a really exciting game that against Keithley, you know, plenty of points, uh, which you tend to find sometimes, don't you, when you get warm weather, and, uh, yeah, he's took his chances well there, and, you know, they were looking to, to, to keep that going now, keep that run going and, uh, you know, see where it can take them. I know they had a very disappointing result at the Summer Bash the weekend before, didn't they, against Widness? And that was disappointing, you know, to go and, and, and play at York like they did. So they wanted a response uh, at the weekend and, and they certainly got that with that victory. Yeah, obviously, Keefley fought back, but the Lions held on at the end. It's a great result for the Swinton Lions. They're currently 12th in the in the championship, but they are on the same points as sort of three teams above them, so they could possibly be nine fifty points difference was better, which shows how much and how well Alan Coleman has been done and these players have performed so well to be in the mix in that mid-table area. Yeah, we spoke about it a lot of times. You've got the, the League One and the Championship, and there's a massive gulf between the two leagues. Um, that that championship, I think, has been really exciting this season. You've you've seen Toulouse and Featherstone go off like, you know, a pair of sprinters, and, and Featherstone are going to take some beating out. They've not lost a game yet, so I think they're nailed on to to be a playoff side and probably end up in the grand final. Um, then Toulouse have, have sort of dropped off the pace a bit. You've got Sheffield Eagles who are who are having a wow of a season. Really, Sheffield they're a real dark horse and. They're right up there on the on the coattails of Featherstone. And then you've got a cluster of clubs in the middle of the table and, and Swinton have got to be aiming for, for that now because, like you said, only behind ninth on points difference, you get a couple of wins under your belt and you start climbing the table. So I think they've still got a lot to play for this season. There's going to be a lot more ambition. They want to get away from that, from that bottom section. You want to make sure you're safe first, but no, I think they've got ambitions to start climbing that league. 
which is what they want to do. Obviously, to reach the, the top end of the championship would be a massive achievement for the, for the for a club of Swinton's size. And, and can you see that sort of happening over the next couple of seasons? Yeah, I, I don't see why not. I think I think they've they've done they've done really well. You know, to get back up into the the championship, and as I said before, there's some big hitters in there, isn't there? You know, it's it's not always a it is a level playing field, I suppose. But when you, you you're fighting against Featherstone, what thirteen from thirteen Featherstone, they've got they're all but a Super League club. You look at the squad that they've got and the and the riches they've got there. But you know, Swinney got to look at teams like Batley and Sheffield, who I've mentioned. I, I think they've gone above to lose now, Batley and Sheffield. So um, you know, they're they're second and third. They've not got massive budgets, but. They seem to unearth the players. They've got they've got good coaches at both clubs. You know, Mark Aston and Craig Lingard at Battle. and you know, Alan Coleman's got to be looking at them as a as a blueprint, an example. You know, you don't need to spend massive amounts of money on players. There's players around. You know, the local amateur scene as well. So, uh, like you say, Swinton are not a million miles off of Halifax. who are in sixth place. They've only got fourteen points. So, um, so yeah, you've got a cluster of teams there. Witness London York. All in that that middle bit there, and they've got to be battling to to get in front of them. You know, a good win against Keithley, though Keithley are above Swinton in the table, so that was a good result there, and and that's something to build on now going uh, going forward for next week. Yep, thirty seconds to go, Paul Halifax at home opportunity there. Yeah, well, Halifax haven't been um, the best side on the road this season. They're a good home side, aren't they, this year? But away from home, I think Swinton can do some damage there, and another result will get them into double figures, and then you're uh, you're, you're up towards the the top eight. Yep. And we'll be talking about it all on the Sports Zone. Big thanks for tuning in this week. And we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. 